There are essentially three sections <clears throat> happening here. It might be a little hard to see that there are three sections because each one has kind of a bridge that takes us. It doesn't just end. There's a bridge that takes us from one section to the next. The first section is going to be uh, really verses 1 through 4. In verses 1 through 4, there's this tone of, of warning. He's warning the church to look out. He, he talks about dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. Now, those are harsh words. I don't call my worst enemies dogs. I don't have enemies, do I? We don't have enemies in the flesh. Our enemies are those of the spiritual realm. But, you, you know, even if you had a neighbor who just, you know, did you dirty, you, you probably wouldn't call him a dog. I mean, Paul's, Paul's being a little rough here. And, and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. Let me just tell you up front what he's talking about here. There is a, a group of people who believe in Jesus Christ. They believe that he is the Son of God and that he died to save sins, but they don't believe that that was enough. They believe that you must have Christ plus circumcision, Christ plus law-keeping. Don't eat pork. Keep this, in our terms, it would, be, it would be things like keep the Sabbath. Because Christ alone is not enough. You must have Christ plus everything else. And they get to decide what everything else is. So he gives them a warning to look out for these people. And then in the second section, verses 5 through 7, it's a tone of regret. He's looking back on his own life, and, and we could do the same, right? Uh, people do this. They write memoirs, they write autobiographies, and they, they tell about their lives. Think about Henry Ford, and he'd, he'd tell about inventing the assembly line and, and what it did for the world. And think about the Wright brothers, and they'd write about inventing this airplane and what it did to change the world. Paul writes his, this, this history of himself. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. But he looks back on it with regret. It's rubbish. It was a complete waste of time because he did not know Christ. And then in the third section, there's this exaltation. He lifts Christ up high and tells us that Jesus Christ is worth trading your everything for. So, all right, let's get at it. Verses 1 through 4. The word says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Brothers and sisters, be warned. This is not just in Paul's day. This is today. There are still groups who claim Christ plus, and they will come to you and tell you, yes, your faith in Jesus Christ is good, but it's not enough. And it's very alluring because we can feel like we're really on shaky ground. When we look at our own lives, if we look at our own righteousness, our own worth, we, we can very easily go, why would Christ save me? And you know what? I'm not walking very well. I sin, I stumble all the time. And that idea that if I, I, if I do something, that will assure my salvation, that's really, really appealing. And so Paul says, to write to you the same things is no trouble to me, and it's safe 
for you. You need this. In other words, Paul said this to them before many times. And Paul writes about this in many, many places throughout the Bible. Galatians is all about this issue, this group. Sometimes they're called Judaizers. Sometimes they're called the circumcision group. And they're, they're going and they're spying out, Paul says, the liberty that we have in Christ. That Jesus Christ came to fulfill all of that Old Testament law. And now they're trying to put burdens on people. And so he's, he's warned them before and he warns them again. And I warn you now, just because you've received the gospel, just because you believed in Christ does not mean that we cannot be lured aside, be distracted and begin to perhaps be saved by grace, but to live by works. So he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This, it's, it's the idea of looking, being observant, pay attention. You need to know what you're listening for. You need to know what the signs are. If somebody starts talking about their faith, somebody starts talking about salvation, and they talk about anything, anything other than Christ alone, look out, be on guard. Know that Paul says they're a dog. Paul says they're an evildoer. Paul says that they're a mutilator of the flesh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. He's saying, look out. You've got to know. And and it's not just an idea of look out for yourself, right? We are not just individual Christians on individual Christian islands. We are a community, a body of believers. So we look out not just for ourselves, but we look out for each other. And each of us lives in a bigger context. You have people that you know that I don't and that the rest of us don't. And you need to look out for them. You need to look out for your children and for your grandchildren and for your neighbors and for your friends and for your people on Facebook. And when you see them slipping into a works-based righteousness or listening to people who preach stuff like this, you need to give them a warning. Tell them flat out, if you are trusting in Christ plus anything, you have nothing. Ephesians chapter 2, for we are saved by grace through faith. He goes on to say, not of works, that no one should boast. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Be on guard. The notion of of being a mutilator of the flesh, he's, he's using a word play. It has uh, a, the same root word as the word for circumcision, okay? But in circumcision, uh, the, the prefix there is to cut around, right? It's a, it's a word picture, literally, right? And that's, that's what a circumcision is. And these people thought of themselves as being the circumcision, the ones. And, and what is circumcision, real quick, okay? Circumcision is a sign, a covenantal sign. And all who, who had the circumcision were supposed to be God's covenantal people because they were supposed to be circumcised by faith, setting themselves apart from the world. But circumcision, true circumcision, spiritual circumcision, is not about the flesh. It's about being saved by grace through faith, and it's about having the things of the world cut off from us and being separated from sin, not from flesh. Well, these people thought of themselves as God's covenantal people, his chosen people. Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. We've got it, man. We've got the message that you need to hear. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. It's still going around. 
your Jesus is good, but you need Jesus plus you need to worship on the Sabbath. Seventh-day Adventists tell you this. They tell you, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of things well, but Jesus is not pleased because you're not worshiping on the Sabbath. There's a, a little church down the road from me. Uh, Adonai Yamala Zoit is the name of it. I don't know what that translates into, but they're not just worship on Saturday. They are also keep all the kosher laws. And I've, I've spoken with one of their members and he, he said to me, if you're right, you're good, right? If I'm right with believing that I'm saved by grace through faith alone, then I'm good. But if you're wrong, then you're going to hell. And he's pointing to me, going, you're going to hell, but I'm good because I've got Christ plus I don't eat pork. I've got Christ plus I go to church on Saturday. I keep all the Old Testament law. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. It's not possible. What does the Bible say? It says if you've broken the law in one place, you've broken it in all. Mm-hmm. You cannot be saved by works. And they're not the only ones, the, those who would have you worship on Saturday. Catholic Church would tell you that you, you must come and you must confess your sins and receive repentance. And if you don't, you won't be saved. They would tell you that you must be baptized in their church. And if you don't, then you've never received the Holy Spirit and you've never received salvation. And therefore, you cannot be saved. They tell you that Christ has to be crucified every time you take the Mass. And by the way, if you don't come take the Mass every week, you won't be saved. Well, that's Christ plus works. And it does not save. And here's the danger, guys. People trust in it. They tr- just like this man told me. Now, he thinks he's trusting Christ, but he's not trusting Christ alone, or he'd be where I'm at. But he's pointing to my faith, and he's going, that might not be enough. I don't trust that your kind of faith in Christ alone is enough. So I'm adding to it. I'm adding my law-keeping. I'm adding my Saturday stuff. Well, then what are you really trusting in? It's not Christ. And Paul says that when they do that, you're a dog. The only other time that that, that we see this term about dog in the New Testament is when Jesus speaks of the Gentiles. And he says, you feed the children, you don't feed the dogs. Right? The the ones who are truly God's people. So he's saying, Paul's saying, these people are not gods. And they they mutilate the flesh. Again, the the true word for circumcision is, is to trim around it, right? But he's saying cut across it. You got the word picture? This is a very pleasant word that he's using here for mutilate. Okay, it, it, the actual word that Paul uses is much more pictorial. So they, they think, they think they're the circumcision, but no, they've actually cut themselves completely off from God. They haven't cut the world away from themselves. They've cut themselves off from God by trusting in something other than Jesus Christ. We are the circumcision. We are the ones who are God's covenantal people who have sin cut off from our lives. Who? Who does that? The ones who worship by the Spirit of God. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God. I'm going to say it one more time. Those who worship by the Spirit of God. This word worship here is an interesting word. It's, it actually means service. It's letreo, I serve. We who serve God, they think they're serving God by keeping the commands, by keeping the Old Testament law, but they're not serving God. Who are they really serving? They're serving themselves. If they would serve God, they would do it by faith. We are the circumcision who serve God by faith. 
You want to worship God rightly? You want to serve God rightly? It has to be by faith, not by works of the flesh. So what does that mean for you? It means there is no to-do list. We don't come to God and go, well, I'll make you a deal. I'll accept that cross thing. I'll take that. I'll take it every Sunday, in fact. But uh, we're going to make a trade. I'm going to give you my tithe. I am going to give you my Sunday school attendance. I'm going to give you five Bibles. I'm going to have one on every nightstand in every room in my house. And I'm going to give you uh, my, my Lottie Moon offerings. And I'm going to stop cussing. And I'm going to stop hanging out with them. And just for a bonus on Facebook, I'm going to attack everyone who doesn't agree with me perfectly. This is what I'm willing to do for you, God. Deal? No deal. Now, how many people, that is their Christianity? They've got their list of what they're going to do for God, what barter they're going to make for him. We don't serve God through a list of things that we're going to do for God. We serve God by obeying him. And we serve God in spirit and in truth of what he says here. He says you serve God by serving him by the spirit of God. That comes with salvation. You cannot actually serve God apart from his Holy Spirit, who's at work in the lives of true believers. And we saw this in chapter 2, both to will and to work. Obedience comes of God. He puts his Holy Spirit in you, and he reveals to you his word. He helps you to understand his word. He reminds you of his word, and he changes your thinking. And then he gives you the power to, to work it out. Everybody knows what I'm talking about if you're saved. You know that you have things you want to do, but you're not always successful at doing them. Things that God's put in your heart to do, but you can't do them apart from, say it, God. He's the only one who will be gloried, glorified. In fact, that's the next thing in here, right? Who else? Is he, or how else is he identifying this, those who are truly the circumcision? Those who glory in Christ alone. See, these who are, who are calling themselves the circumcision... They glorify in their works. They're going to tell you what they have done and why they are worthy and why you are not. When they talk about salvation, they talk about me, 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 me. There's a country song like that. I wish I'd have thought of it ahead of time. I'd have maybe got ready to sing it. But it's something about, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about, I want to talk about me, oh my, oh, number one, oh my. That's what these folks are, are doing. They've talk, they will talk about what they have done. If you are truly saved by grace through faith, and you're, you're going to do what this says, and you're going to be what this says, that you're, you're glorying in Christ alone, you're only going to talk about what Christ has done. And when you talk about you, and you, when you talk about Christ, here's Christ, and here's you. Paul calls himself a worm. Think about that word choice. I crawl in the dirt. I'm not, even, like, I'm not bottom of the barrel, folks. I'm under the barrel. I'm in the dirt hidden from the light compared to the glory of Jesus Christ and what he has done. Though I might, excuse me, we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We put no trust in anything in ourselves, anything we've done. When we stand before God, we will plead one thing and it is the cross. 
Jesus talks about this. He said, there will be those who stand before me and they'll say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. The only problem with that is, well, two problems. One, it's not about Christ. It's about me. I did this and I did that for you. They had their bargain. I will serve you. I will do for you. Just take me. And Jesus says, no, I will serve you and I will do for you. You take me. That's the gospel. That is the gospel that we bring nothing. We bring nothing. We come with empty hands. We lay our everything down. We come with empty hands and say, God, I'm trusting you. And I will glory in you alone. And I will bring nothing to you. And I will receive your son and what he did on the cross. And I will praise you for it. And I am yours. That's true faith that we don't ever put down the faith that we've been given. We cling to it as though our soul depends on it, and it does. And I will never pick up my works again. I will never pick up Jesus plus. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We're not going to lean on it at all. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So these ones who are coming and they're pleading their their great lives. We do all the things. We're good people. We keep the law. Be like us. Do like us. Look how great we are. If you'll be like us, God will be pleased with you because he sure is pleased with us. Paul says whatever they're pleading, nah. Whatever that is, I got it more. And he goes into this this regretful thing, right? And so he speaks about himself, about all these things that he used to have, that he used to plead. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of of Christ. So these people who would have you be circumcised, I was circumcised, Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's the day that God says to do it. And I'm, I'm a true Israelite. They're trying to get you to come be converted. You're a Gentile. They're saying, come be converted, but you'll never actually be an Israelite. You have the wrong blood in you. And I was of the tribe of Benjamin. These are one of the two southern tribes that held on for the longest. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Man, you want to talk about being the right blood, the right people, the right everything? I'm the man. At least that's how I looked at myself. Think about that. There's a lot of pride in this, right? Now, this isn't Paul's current pride. Paul's reflecting on the pride that he had. I thought I was somebody. I was the Jew that all the little Jews wanted to be like. Moms would look at me and at their kids and go, be like Paul. That's what he's saying. As to the law, you want to keep the law? Keep the law. I was a Pharisee. I interpreted the law. I would tell you what the law was. As to zeal, you're so excited about this and telling everybody they need to do this. I was a persecutor of the church. Man, I would go and I would find them where they were and I'd bring them back and we'd put them to death. You got nothing on me. 
as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. I can poke holes in your righteousness everywhere you go. You couldn't have done that with me. I was the man. But he's not boasting in this. This is regret. Verse 7 again. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Imagine if you'd lived your whole life to accomplish something and you realized at the end that it was worthless. How bitter would that be? How sad would that be? There's so many people who live like this. They, they live for a paycheck. They want to get rich. They want to get famous. And at the end, it's, it's empty. How many celebrities, how many rich people commit suicide all the time? Because it's empty. It's hollow. It means nothing. How many people will be members of churches? They will faithfully tithe. They will have faithful attendance. They'll have all the marks, everything ticked off. I'm the Baptist that you ought to tell your little Baptist kids to be like. I'm the Catholic that you ought to tell all the Catholics to be like. I'm the Seventh-day Adventist. I'm the whatever. And they will see Christ. And they will realize, maybe for the first time, that it was rubbish. It was all loss. That's why the tone here is one of regret. Now, Paul was likely in his 30s when he encountered this regret, when Jesus Christ met him on the road and showed him that everything he had done, that everything he was boasting and everything he was prideful about, it was nothing, it was worthless. For some of us, we were children when we encountered that. For some, I have a dear friend. I preached the gospel to him. I shared the gospel to him for coming up on 20 years, and he got saved about two years ago. He's well into his 70s. When he really understood it, it was all loss. Everything I did, it was, it was worthless. Brothers and sisters, if you've never had this regret, my fear is that you've never had Christ. If you can look back on anything before you knew Christ and see that there was value in it, that it would be something to boast in, be prideful about, that it made you who you are, it, it didn't. It has no eternal significance. It's worthless compared to knowing Christ. Let's go on to verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So he's saying, I count all things loss. Every single thing I've ever done, everything I am, all of it 
I count as loss. It was a waste because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So what is he saying? He's saying, I thought all these things were good and worthy until I saw him. You know, you go into an art place or on the side of the road or whatever, and and they sell paintings, and, and they're often beautiful. They're really beautiful. But if you took one of them and you walked into the Louvre, you would go, man, I wasted my money on that because there's nothing compared to the glory of this. And yet you take the best, the best impressionist painting of a sunset or of a sunrise and you go out and you hold it up to nature and you go, man, I wasted my money on this because while I was staring at this, God was revealing his glory and his majesty in creation. And I could have been looking at this all these, all these years. And I toiled for nothing. Brothers and sisters, there are people who toil after a religion. They toil after a false sense of Christ instead of just looking at Jesus. And when we have him, though, we will count these other things as lost Compared to the worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, he is worthy. He is the one thing. He's worthy of trading everything. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure in the field that the one goes and he stumbles across it and he sees it and he takes everything he has and sells it to buy that field. That's the worth of Christ. Bring your nothing. Trade your everything and receive him. That's what Paul is saying. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Christ may not be asking you to give up all things. Paul literally did. You understand that he's writing this from prison. He has nothing. He's given up everything. He's given up his life, his freedom, his income. There's no book deal. There's no royalties coming in. There's no inheritance for children. He has no children. He's given up his everything for Christ. And he says it's worth it. God may not ask you to give up your everything, but he does ask you to be willing to give up your everything. And he's patient and he's gracious. But what does he say? He says, if you give up lands, if you give up mothers, brothers, sisters, fathers, you will have given to you Hundreds of times more in the kingdom. Paul knows that. He understands that. It is worth it, whatever you do for Christ, whatever you're willing to give up for him. And be found in him. And that's the key. Don't be found in your works. Don't be found in Christ plus. Be found in Christ alone. Because in him you will have a righteousness of your own. You will not have a righteousness of your own that comes from the law, but instead you'll have the righteousness that comes through Christ. You cannot bring to God at the judgment, here's my righteousness. Here it is. Here's my list. No, you come with your nothing. Lord, I have nothing. Look to Jesus. He did it for me. All righteousness apart from faith depends on the law. 
depends on our works. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, being like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I'm going to read that one more time. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Christians, you don't all know the power of his resurrection. I'm not saying because you're saved or you're not saved. I'm saying you don't all know the power of his resurrection because we don't all live simply by his grace. What do I mean by that, David? When we try to work things out for ourselves, when we look at the bank account and go, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get another job. I'm going to save more. I've got this plan. I've got this scheme. When we go, I can't give to that because there's not enough, then there won't be enough money. When we look to a situation and we connive and we scheme to figure out how we can get ahead and how we can get over somebody else and we're, we're going to maneuver and we're going to use power and we're going to use human means and, and, and human wisdom to get what we want instead of relying on God's grace, we will never know his power. God specializes in doing the impossible. That's why prayer is so significant. Prayer is us going, God, I can't. This is not even possible. And going to the one for whom all things are possible. God, I have nothing to give here. But I'm asking you if you would just move in this world. And move in this life. And move in this situation. You have the power of the resurrection of the dead. Certainly you have power over a church's finances. You have power over my health. You have power over the relationships. You have power over the troubles that are in my heart. You have power over my very life. I want to know your resurrection power. I want to be dead to myself. I want to be dead to my efforts to earn it. And I want to walk daily trusting in Jesus Christ alone. I want to walk on water, Jesus. I can't do that in myself. That's a power that comes from God. And I can only do it when I put my eyes on Christ and follow after him. But actually, I don't even want to do that. I want all these other things. So God, put the desire in me, work it in me by your spirit and by your word, and then help me to do it. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. That's a whole other thing. The power of resurrection, the power to bring back from the dead, the power for God to rescue us from the pits of life. American Christianity does not want to suffer. It does not like to suffer, but we will never know him Fully in this earth. We will know, never know him as we can unless we know him in suffering. Martin Luther said that that was actually the mark of a Christian, was suffering. You could know whether or not you were God's based on whether or not you actually ever suffered for Christ. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That is what this is all about, brothers and sisters. Who will be saved? Who will rise from the dead? It is only those who trust in Christ alone. So beware of those who would offer any Christ plus kind of gospel and regret, repent of anything you have done that you think would give you a claim on God or that you would present to God at the judgment. If you think you've done anything that God ought to come up to you and go, you did good on that one. No, God is only pleased with his son. Only pleased with his son. So unless you've done something in Christ, you've done nothing that's going to please God. That righteousness that you're hoping to get an attaboy for, 
It's filthy rags, he says. And exult in Christ, know his worth, be willing to trade it all for him. Lay it all down.